Hello, lovely people of wisdom and beauty and all of the good things in life. I'm so happy to welcome you to episode 30. What? The what? How and why? We are coming into chapter 17. My drug dealer was a doctor. This song is by Macklemore. It's called Drug Dealer and it features Ariana DeBose. It's a really cool track. It's a great music video as well. Uh, girl bathing in a pile of pills. <laughs> um, can you say heaven? I'm just kidding. I'm fully, fully recovered. I have a mini announcement that's going to make you all just scream into your podcasts with jealousy. I'm going to take a two-week break after I release the second half of this chapter, so after next week, um, for two weeks off just because I am going to Thailand. It has been two years since I've taken a proper holiday and I decided that I deserved it and I needed it. So I will be taking a a little solo girls trip, doing a wellness retreat, lots of massages, lots of meditation and yoga and just fully blissing out. So I know you're incredibly jealous, but just, you know, try and be happy for me if you can. Speaking of, I have something to make you happy. For the first three people who get in touch with me after this podcast or after you've listened to it, I want you to hit me up on Instagram and you will win a free book. Ta-da! I'm being so generous in the lead up to my departure. So, Jump on in, hit me up on Instagram at memoir, and I will send you a book anywhere in the world. Do have a chat with me. Do let me know where you are coming from, where you listen, what you do when you listen. Actually, don't let me know that. I probably don't want to hear about you scrubbing the toilets because I know that that's generally what I'm doing. Well, just about cleaning every crevice of my house and sometimes my body. All right, let's get into it. Chapter 17. My drug dealer was a doctor. Soundtrack, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, drug dealer. It had been over a year since my breakup with Simon, yet it still felt as fresh as the day it happened. I was struggling my way through my final semester at uni when I decided the answer to all my problems was falling in love with someone else. Enter Alessandro. Alessandro was a family friend from Toronto. We had reconnected via Facebook, as per most romances born of desperation and loneliness. Growing up as the migrant kids on their street, Alessandro's late mother and my own were best friends. My mum was the child of Estonian refugees, and his was fresh off the boat from Calabria. The girls bonded as five-year-olds whose pickled fish and smelly cured meats were too confronting for the other children. They enjoyed 60 years as friends before his mother sadly took her own life due to mental illness. 
Alessandro swanned into my dysfunction with all his charm, cheek and good looks. Right away he spoke about our lives together like they were set in stone. Like it was a given that we had a future together. When he spoke of home, it was ours to share, not his and mine. From day one, our separate entities had gone, and I was part of a we again. For a year, I had been walking around feeling non-existent in my own skin, in a body I didn't recognise without Simon beside it. Suddenly, here was Alessandro, telling me that I wasn't alone anymore, and I felt whole again. My entire existence rested on the shoulders of this new man. In all those years with Simon, I had never had that security. I was never allowed to fantasize about our wedding day or the family we may build together. I never even felt assured enough in our own home to decorate. I bought a single throw cushion. That was it. So... When Alessandro swooped in and started creating the world of us, it felt amazing. It felt hopeful. I was convinced Alessandro was the one I had been waiting for. He was 17 years my senior at 44, which added to my sense of security. He was Canadian-Italian, tall, had gorgeous olive skin and a smile that could melt an iceberg. He had a young son from a previous marriage, but had long since been divorced. He communicated well and was both funny and impossibly sexy. He spoke at least four languages and even went to therapy. (sighs) Boys, if you're reading this, take note. Nothing gets a girl going like a man in therapy. He was perfect. And damn, was he smooth. Despite the 14-hour time difference, my intense study load and his corporate job, we chatted all day, every day. We were addicted to each other. I lived on four hours of sleep a night just so I could stay awake until two in the morning talking to him. It was exhilarating. I lived for the hours we were both awake at the same time. The rest of the day felt meaningless and wasteful. In my final month of uni, my supervisors and classmates would see me gazing obsessively into my phone and could tell how my day was going based on my reactions. If my desire for affection and attention had been met, I would go bounding into the clinic like a kid at Christmas. If his tone had changed, or he wasn't responding as quickly as the day before, I would be plagued with panic and completely distracted. I'd suck the energy out of the room so fast, you could swear I was a dementor in training. Only days into our online communication, we had already said those three little words. I love you. I couldn't focus to save myself, but I didn't care. I had love, and that was more important than any degree. Love would pave the way to my future. After a week of talking, 
We had booked two tickets to Tuscany for the type of romantic month-long holiday that dreams are made of. Our first date. It was all I could do not to burst out of my skin. I even forgot about my heartache. I had something to look forward to again. Nothing could ruin this. Nothing could burst my bubble. Every day, I would count down the days until it was time to board the flight that would take me to the man of my dreams. Perhaps it was a little strange that the first time we met, I was 11 and visiting my grandparents in Canada, and he was pushing 30. But any oddities were easily overridden by the pure fact that this was fate. All the pain and suffering of my previous relationships, of my previous life, had guided me to this very moment. We became so close so quickly that I didn't worry about telling Alessandro about my mental health issues. He had his own troubles after all. I had already advised him about my addiction, but looking back, I don't think he really heard me. Just as I had when I was on the verge of paralysis with my spinal tumour or wasting away from anorexia, I looked relatively normal. I was thin, and if you got too close, you would see a film of sweat lining my skin and the glazed over look of my eyes. But when I left the house, I would dress in slacks and a shirt for uni and slap on some makeup. Like everyone else in their final year of study, I looked tired and stressed. I needed to look a certain way or my doctors would have figured out that I was hiding a crippling addiction a long time ago. Two weeks into our long-distance romance, I spilled everything to Alessandro. Oh, hey, you should know I have bipolar. I mean, you obviously know I'm grieving, but yeah... I guess you should know about the bipolar too. I'm on medication for both anyway. It, it shouldn't be a problem. Oh, right. Okay, he replied. I mean, I've been diagnosed with every mental illness under the sun. It's not like they're all happening at the same time all of the time. Besides, I'm starting to question whether I'm actually that sick or if the world just wasn't built for people like me. I'd be really content if I could live like a cat. But we are supposed to contribute to society. Boo! Cats contribute to society by being super adorable. I'm amazing at that. (laughs) Yes, you are, weirdo. So anyway, I thought you should know. There's a bit of speculation around whether or not I have borderline personality disorder too, but what? Yeah, it's kind of like bipolar, but like on steroids. No, it's not. You have BPD? No, I mean, it. it's just been bandied round as an... Uh, what the fuck, Kirst? What? What's the big deal? You were cool with me having bipolar two seconds ago. BPD is different. You should have told me before. When? We've only been talking for two weeks. Do you want me to drop my mental health shit on day one? Are you mental? You tricked me. You've been lying to me. 
It's messed up. Um, no, I'm telling you right now. Besides, I'm not even officially diagnosed. It was a flippant remark. For fuck's sake, I wish I didn't say anything. Whatever. Even the thought that you could have it is bad. Where is this coming from? I'm so confused right now. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I've got to get ready for work. I don't know. Maybe maybe we should just cancel the holiday. What? No. Please just talk to me. I've got to go. I'll talk to you later. He wouldn't talk to me again for three days. Nothing. Dead silence. I panicked as I saw yet another man driven away by my intensity. Driven away by my me-ness. Well, not this time, I decided with a terrifying level of tenacity. I wasn't letting this one get away. I would make him love me, whether he wanted to or not. You know those Australian koala souvenirs that wrap around the end of a pencil and hang on, clutching for dear life? Mm, Yeah, so that was my entire plan. We would meet in Tuscany. I would wrap myself around his neck and he would have to pry off my cold, dead hands if he ever wanted his freedom back. Simple, romantic, and not at all a symptom of BPD. Before the flight, I needed to organise all the medications I would need for a month away. This was no easy feat, as it would include over a hundred opioids, daily antipsychotics, which were clearly working a treat, and my weight in antidepressants. By this stage, I was also using a walking stick, because my health was declining from stress-induced fibromyalgia and the painful cravings my body produced from oxy-withdrawal. I was in constant pain and chronically exhausted. I had tried to warn Alessandro about all of this, but he, like me, was blinded by fantasy and told me to leave my pimp cane at home. I had concerns about being left to walk in pain or be weak with exhaustion but the sheer fact that I needed to believe Alessandro would take care of me quickly dismissed them. All I wanted was for someone to take my life in their hands and nurse it back to health like a baby bird. I don't think either of us thought we would end up walking the cobblestone streets of Montepulciano while he supported my entire body weight on his arm because I was both too weak and too pained to stand on my own. Getting the medication for this holiday was a mission in itself. My GP was starting to catch on to the fact that I had an issue with these meds, but rather than refuse my prescription, he chose to make sure I would be safe while away. We would deal with my little problem when I came home. As he so generously put it, you are not the problem, but this is a problem. As far as he was aware, mum had successfully taken care of my medications for months, and all was relatively under control. 
Sure, I was reliant on my weekly oxynorm prescription, but it wasn't out of control. He certainly didn't picture me waiting impatiently for the pharmacy to open at 8am, gripping my hand tightly around the end of my walking stick so I wouldn't feel it restlessly tickle and shake from withdrawals. He didn't imagine me fiendishly scraping the tiny granules of white powder off public bathroom floors after I'd foolishly knocked the phone I'd been racking on off the large silver toilet paper holder at the crack of dawn right before treating patients. That wasn't me. I was sweet Kirsty, who he had treated for ear infections as a child, as he pretended to look for possums between my ears. I was the girl who survived spinal cancer that he'd discovered. I was ashamed, but not enough to stop. In any case, it's not like I had another option. The alternative was to feel everything that bubbled and brewed just below the surface, which was unbearable, even in its dulled state. My desperation to obtain the meds and fly to Alessandro outweighed any hint of shame. Besides, soon everything would be fine. Alessandro was the answer to all of this. Heartbreak had destroyed me, and love was the cure. To gain access to the medications... I had to adhere to several rules that proved I could look after myself for the duration of the trip. I had previously asked mum to be in charge of my pill supply, hoping this would derail my addictive tendencies. So mum was required to accompany me to my next doctor's appointment and agree that she felt completely comfortable with my capacity to self-dose. Despite the fact that she had caught me stealing my tablets from her hiding spots multiple times. Then she would have to call Alessandro and make sure he knew exactly how much and how often I was to take my meds, now that he was my newly assigned carer. It was like the adults were talking, and I was the naughty teenager being sent away to the grandparents' house for the summer to get my shit together. Hot. Imagine my delight when we passed every test and were given all the prescriptions my junky heart desired. Boxes upon boxes of those orange and white capsules. Decadent. Now, imagine how Alessandro was feeling. Something I didn't consider at the time, but now imagine was similar to that YouTube video of the little girl whose mother feeds her wasabi for the first time. The three-year-old unsuspectingly tastes the green mush, and we watch her transition from shock horror to betrayal as her entire face catches on fire. She's in so much agony she can hardly speak. Somehow, she manages to squeak out a solemn plea for help. It's as cruel as it is hilarious, but my gut was telling me this scenario leaned more toward cruelty than hilarity. The day had finally arrived and I was in the sky on my way to a brand new life. My excitement was palpable and contagious. I told anyone who would listen about my romantic journey to love. But 
The 30 hours of travel gave Alessandro the space he hadn't had in two weeks. To think. Don't think, never think. (laughs) I needed to get there and suction myself to him like a barnacle before more damage was done. By the time I was halfway and could check my phone between changeover flights, totes not obsessively, his texting style had changed significantly. He was now indecisive about meeting me at the airport in Rome and was no longer convinced we should stay in the same room. He even started to claim that when he had said he loved me, he had meant it as a friend. Not that he was in love with me, but that he had love for me. Cool. Thanks, bro. I was confused, scared and unravelling with anxiety. Had I made up the entire thing? I couldn't have. Who plans an entire romantic escapade to Tuscany with a mate? No. He was pulling away and I could feel it over the Pacific Ocean. I spent the next 10 hours drinking tiny bottles of ice-cold red wine and lamenting the fact I had left my boxed-up oxys in my luggage, having already made my way through the flight rations. I watched A Star Is Born three times and cried so hard that the young boy sitting next to me tugged at his mother's sleeve to ask if I was okay. I simply gestured to the ruggedly handsome and relatably fucked up Bradley Cooper on my in-flight entertainment, which was met by an understanding nod from the mother. (laughs) Nailed it. Fueled by lack of sleep, copious amounts of alcohol, oxy withdrawals and panic that Alessandro wouldn't show, I crawled off the flight with a mixture of dread and excitement. I hurried straight to the bathroom to take a whore's bath with wet wipes, change my in-flight undies, and slap some makeup on my face to pretend I am always this effortlessly stunning when coming off an 18-hour flight. Collecting my baggage, I was sure I would be stopped for drug trafficking with the amount of medication I had with me. My doctor had even written individual letters for myself and Alessandro, just in case we got pulled up carrying my supplies. But all was well, and I made my way through the departure gates, heart racing. I walked through the large automated doors, following the hordes of weary travellers before me. My eyes darted rapidly to try and find him as I held my breath in anticipation. There he was. My guilt tripping had worked. He was here and all would be okay. As I walked towards him with my bags in tow, I anxiously wondered if he would kiss me, hug me, or tell me he was sick of my bullshit and put me straight on a flight back home. To my delight, he took me in his arms and gave me a big kiss. I'd never been so in love. Okay, guys, that is it for this week. Part two is coming next week. 
And remember, the first three people who get in touch with me via Instagram at Gutter Glitter Memoir can win their very own copy of Gutter Glitter by Moi. And hey, if you've already got a copy, great. Give it to a friend. It's uh, it's up for the taking. There's three available. First people to get in touch with me. It is all yours. I can't wait to hear from you. All right, guys, I will talk to you next week. Bye.